What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. People want to see Baby Doll. Get her hands on Jim Cornette during the Great American Bash, Baby Doll. I know you're looking forward to that. Tony, can you believe Cornette coming out with that dress? And that was, does that look like anything I have ever worn? I take a little more pride than that. But listen, I have received so many cards and letters across the world, across the United States. It's unbelievable. And they're all saying, Baby Doll, do you really think you can beat a man? And I'll tell you what, Cornette, I'm the one to do it because I don't think a, a regular woman could get in and beat Cornette, but I'm the one to do it. And Cornette, if you get your Midnight Express in there and think that they're going to block my attempt to get at you, you're dead wrong because, number one, I've got Dusty Rose and Magnum TA by my side. I've got the Rock and Roll Express, and I've got the Road Warriors. Oh. Midnight Express and Jim Cornette, you're taken care of. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to episode number 270 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast, a podcast that you can catch two times a week and download it from wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, my personal favorite, the Podomatic app, and coming soon to the IRW Network. You never know who's going to be on the other end of the line with the two-man power trip of wrestling. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, today on the show, we head back down to the Mid-Atlantic Territory. We buckle up and get on the plane with Jim Crockett Promotions, and we speak with a legend of the Jim Crockett Promotions, NWA, 1980s era, and that is the one and only Perfect Ten herself, Baby Doll. And we were so thrilled to be joined by Baby Doll 
because this is an absolute trailblazer in the professional wrestling industry. She's somebody who's always been in some sort of a different class when it comes to the women that have been either a valet or uh, another kind of managerial role. Because Baby Doll was always involved in the main stories, the main angles, and the main matches on the card. And it was always something that you knew you were seeing something big if Baby Doll was in the match with one of her men. And whether it was getting into a scuffle with one of her greatest rivals, Jim Cornette, or being by the side of a champion, whether it was Tully Blanchard, or whether it was Magnum T.A., or whether it was even by the side of Dusty Rhodes, Baby Doll made that match so much more important just by her presence that it is awesome to look back and get her on to talk about all these amazing moments and all these personalities that she got to cross paths with. And not only that, I mean, she has just had such an incredible history in the business. Of course, being married to Sam Houston, being tied into uh, the Smith family alongside uh, Jake Roberts, Rockin' Robin, of course, Grizzly Smith, and, you know, like I mentioned, Sam Houston, her ex-husband. So that in itself is another little uh, little divide here that we can throw into the middle of this episode because there's tons of stories, there's so much to go over, but John, as I welcome you in here, why don't you talk a little bit more about the career of Baby Doll? Why don't you talk about how when Baby Doll was involved, it always made things seem a little bit more important, and of course, tell us some of the highlights that we have to look forward to in this interview with an absolute perfect 10. Yes, Chad, back here again. The two-man power trip of wrestling loves NWA, and they love Jim Crockett Promotions. And, of course, we've interviewed so many legendary JCP guys. I mean, we had on Dusty, we had on Ronnie Garvin, we had on Steamboat, we had on Bobby Eaton, we had on Arn Anderson, we had on Lex Luger. And the list, Tully Blanchard, Nikita Koloff, Magnum T.A., the list just keeps on going and going, and this was a special one. This was a different one. This is none other than Baby Doll, the Perfect Ten. This was an awesome one. This is one of the ones where I was like, you know, this is going to be a lot of fun because you know that this is going to be a different interview. You know, we like everyone pretty much knows that we we're not really interviewing too many females out there. I know other shows they kind of go for that. I mean, we really just the way it's been going for us for what, somehow, some way, for whatever reason, it's just. Haven't really interviewed that many females, but Baby Doll is one of the females that we really went after and sought after and was like, hey, we really want to interview her. We really want to talk about her start in the business and world-class championship wrestling, managing Gino Hernandez, how did she get recruited over to JCP and the NWA, stuff like that. So we really wanted to interview Baby Doll. We love Jim Crockett Promotions. Obviously, she played a major role in a lot of major angles. She managed Tully Blanchard and just an absolute perfect pairing as, you know, Tully coined the phrase, the perfect 10. Where did she come up with the name Baby Doll? Awesome, awesome stuff. I mean, she was just a lot of fun. So honest, brutally honest. We absolutely love that. We go in depth and into some of the feuds that she was involved with as well, as far as Magnum T.A., Dusty Rhodes, and then of course, cannot forget Jim Cornette. We get some great Cornette stories, even some more recent stories from her interactions and altercations with Jim Cornette. So that's always fun. That's some good stuff. We do talk about the UWF and the Mid South, and obviously going there with her ex husband, Sam Houston. And of course, cannot 
you know, forget the major angle she was involved with when she managed the Nate Chaboy Ric Flair when he was NWA World Champion. So that's some awesome stuff. And then maybe some stuff you haven't heard before, like her WWF tryout in 1988. She went there with her then sister-in-law, Rockin' Robin, who obviously is Sam Houston and Jake the Snake Roberts' sister. And obviously Rockin' Robin made her way into the WWF and Baby Doll never did. We go into that. We talk a little bit about Vince. We talk about why she didn't make it and maybe Rockin' Robin did. So this is a really good one. I just love to be able to kind of put this on the old resume and put her on the TMPT list of legends from the JCP NWA Mid-Atlantic area. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Perfect Ten Baby doll. Absolutely. And sit back, relax, and enjoy the perfect 10 baby doll and continue to keep the legacy of Jim Crockett promotions out there as we really try to spread the word. And we also want to extend a huge thank you to Debbie over at the Crockett Foundation. And you can go to CrockettFoundation.com for more information about what the Crockett Foundation does. But they were just so extremely courteous in donating a couple of amazing Four Horsemen t-shirts to our meet and greet event down at Hurley's Tavern last weekend. And the people that were able to grab those bad boys were had they had smiles on their faces from ear to ear. And it was so incredibly heartwarming to know that still the Four Horsemen and Jim Crockett promotions continuing to really touch the fans in a major, major way. And as John said, you can go back in our archive. You can listen to some of those great episodes. And up until June 1st, you'll be able to hear selected episodes that are going to be moved over to the IRW network on our archives on iTunes and Podomatic. So get on there, listen to what you want. And starting June 1st, get over to IRWnetwork.com and subscribe to us over there. You'll find out all the information after their official launch of how you can hear some of our archive, as well as a huge, huge show that we are going to be announcing in the next couple of days that is going to be one to remember as John and myself are going to be joined by a very special co-host for a very, very unique group of shows that I am so excited to get recording and get out to the masses, if you will, but get in there and check out our archive. Not only the ones that John mentioned, but you got both members of the Rock and Roll Express. You've got the Russian Bear, Ivan Koloff. You could even go find Demolition Smash, Barry Darso. Listen to his time as Crusher Khrushchev down in JCP. And you could really just search the whole thing. The Outlaw, Joel Deaton. There's so many guys in that archive that have been through the Jim Crockett Promotions territory that you're just going to be on the edge of your seat listening to these stories. And we've been so just incredibly happy to bring them to you. But, John, it's enough out of me. Hit them with To the Perfect Ten, Baby Doll. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, 
check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. Monroe, New Jersey on June 10th. Keyport, New Jersey on June 10th. Then we head on down to New Kent, Virginia on July 15th for the Crockett Cup. Then follow us down to Philadelphia where we hit the Icons Collectors Fest at the 2300 Arena. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, she was in world-class championship wrestling. She was in the Mid-South in the old UWF. She, of course, was in the NWA for Jim Crockett Promotions. She is the perfect and she is Baby Doll. Please enjoy. Where in the world have you been? Well, Tommy, you should know you get. JJ gave me the ticket to Acapulco. You see, he said it was my Christmas present JJ for you. JJ gave you what? From me? JJ gave me a ticket to Acapulco for my Christmas present from you. JJ, come here. You gave me the ticket, remember? You said it was a Christmas present Sounds from like Trump. some rotten in Denmark to me, but I, I didn't tell JJ. JJ, come on, tell him. You're a real sweetheart, baby doll, and I think the world of you, but you're going to have to figure out some other way to cover your tracks because I don't know what you're talking about. JJ, come on, tell him. You gave me the hey, ticket. Get your hands off of him. No, he if gave you're me the ticket. Off, your button paid for. You're no. mine. You're my kid. No, and if you're up running off, if you're running off. Thank you very much, and I do not be, mind being called an old legend. That, that's fine. Thank you. <laughs> I've, I've worked very hard for that, for that title. I don't like to say old legend or old. It's just that it's, that's a wrestling legend to me. You know, we always talk about on the show, and we, we always end up back in the NWA somehow. You know, whether it's talking to Tully or whether it was talking to Dusty while he was still alive and talking to Magnum TA and talking to so many guys that you crossed paths with, you've worked so closely with, you know, and even a Jim Cornette, who we'll definitely get to as well, a guy who you've had a lot of runs in, run-ins with. But, you know, when we talk about that legend, we see a lot of these conventions showing up. What do you think it is about that old school that fans just still can't get enough of, even today? It was 
definitely the end of an era. I mean, it was it was short lived while it was while it was while it was great, and it was so cool because I don't know how how to explain it except for like when you when you do a legend show or a fan fest show, you have the fans that come up to you, and when they see you, you can actually see it in their face. You can see it in their eyes those memories start coming back of like sitting on the couch with the grandma or the grandpa waiting on Saturday afternoon to watch TBS 605 Georgia championship wrestling. And, and that their whole world stopped for that two hours while they just got totally enveloped into the story that Dusty created for them and, and love us and hate us. And, and they got into the story and then David Crockett was so good with the, and and we we have to wrap it up, folks. And until next week, we're going to keep the cameras rolling. We're, you're not going to miss a, miss a moment of the action, but we've got to go for right now. We'll see you next week, and boom, it would end, and everybody would be going like, oh, my gosh, what happened? And it was like the deal when we, when we wrapped the um, bull rope around Jim Cornette's neck, and we took off in the, in the truck, and we didn't know if you decapitated Jim Cornette or if he was going to be some 50 – uh, miles down the road in pieces or if he was going to show up in Spartanburg the next week. It was all, it was, it was, it was such a good story and there were such great players in it from Dusty to Magnum to Flair to, you know, we were living the high life. Everybody was making really good money. We were all getting, we were all getting along very, you know, for a, that an organization with that many guys in it. We really got along very well. And it was, it was just a magical time. There's no other way to describe it because not only did the fans enjoy it, we enjoyed it. Oh, it's it's so awesome. And John and I are Northeast guys, so obviously, you know, we had to read a lot of magazines. We did get the superstition like everybody did, but still, we didn't live it the way, you know, the Southern fans did. And, you know, I now relocated to Virginia, and I kind of met a lot of Southern fans that when you talk old school NWA, when you talk about Georgia Championship Wrestling, you talk about 605, they just literally beam from, from ear to ear, and it's something that will never be replaced. But some of the, uh, you know, some of the some of the rivalries, some of the competitors, timeless, I guess is a great word to use. But what is, like, what would you say your favorite oh, memory or just your favorite part of that crew or that time period is when you look back at it? The, most, the favorite was the very first bash. Whenever, I, I guess, whenever the, the Great American Bash in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was like we got a bunch of us were on like billboards and you know like your faces on the picture you know is, is you know on the tickets and you know you definitely know that you're going to sell out you know the stadium and it's going to hold twenty five thousand people and the whole you know we had worked you know six to eight months for this card to be developed and here everything worked and every match was going to mean something and everybody was going to get a good payoff and everybody on that card meant something. And I think at that moment where we kind of all of a sudden like, oh, you know, like big boys, yeah, we are the big boys, you know, because we were running toe-to-toe with WWF at the time or it was, you know, WWE at the or it was WWF at the time. And that, um, you know, we really were we were very competitive with all of them, with World Class and with Crockett and with WWF. 
you know, we were all, everybody, there was a lot of people making money and there was a lot of people liking wrestling and it was, it just seemed like the Great American Bash that 1985, it, it turned just, to me, that was the best part of all of it, I think. Those tours, you look back at how they were built, they were executed, it's unbelievable. You know, you think about a guy like Flair who had 14, you know, title matches in the span of a few weeks. You think about a War Games match taking place, you know, every single night of a tour, just really uh, stepping up the game each time you go along. But one guy who you were really linked to at that point, and I know this is uh, it's kind of funny, it's why I was glad you uh, you mentioned the Bash Tours. Last year you had the opportunity to kind of settle some scores with Jim Cornette, and obviously you two were tied so much together during the uh, during the heyday. But kind of, if you can, just cover uh, that rivalry with Jim Cornette and what it meant for you guys to finally uh, settle the score about a year ago. It was, uh, oh, my gosh, back like 30 years ago, and, and then that was the bash of 1986. We built it up where Cornette had attacked me and hit me with a tennis racket. I had gone out. It was out for a little bit. Didn't know if I was ever going to be able to have children. You know, the whole, you know, they had to carry me away from the ring. And it was um, Jim Cornette and those boys got a lot of heat over that. And then came back with the matches and we had the 14 matches, whether I was with um, uh, Dusty and Magnum or Rock and Roll Express. And I even teamed up with like the Road Warriors a couple of times and did the whole bash thing and then came back and, we worked with BTW. We did one show, and I believe it was in Morton and Spartanburg, and sold it out. Had a good match. It was really good, and and uh, I was I was really happy because I'm not a wrestler, and so for me to you know put more than two moves together is phenomenal. <laughs> and um, before we, when Cornette and I had the deal, before I had like Dusty and Magnum and Rock and Roll Express, and they could do their thing, and I could just basically, you know, I didn't have to wrestle that much. And I was more like, I was more knock them out and pin them. That's all I had to do. Well, the same thing, like with, like in Morganton and Spartanburg, I, there was matches, and I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't wrestled since, like, probably Stella May in, like, 1984, and it was like Jim Cornette. If I hurt you, I'm really sorry, but you deserve every bit of it. And we had, like, really good matches, and it worked out, and I'm really happy with it. And it is what it is. That's what somebody said with, uh, they told my daughter was, well, it is what it is, and, and I'm very happy with what we put together. And and uh, the pictures were, I, I loved because somebody did some, like, real high-def pictures of it, and with the powder and the whole thing, it looked, like, really cool, and I'm happy. It was very cool. And I think uh, hearing Cornette talk about it, build it up for uh, weeks and weeks and weeks was, uh, was kind of old school. You know, it's kind of like uh, being in the uh, in the trenches with David Crockett and Tony Schiavone and hearing the promos getting ready for the shows. But one thing that's kind of it's kind of funny, it's, 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 it's the parallels of the time period, 30 years ago versus today. Because one thing, when you look at all the feuds you were involved in, especially with Cornette or even with Dusty and with Tully, the role of the valet, the role of the manager then versus how it's treated now, I think that you took a lot more, quote, like bumps than I think uh, anybody would today. You definitely got physical with the guys, and I think that that is something to be said to your uh, your power and your role. But what do you think about that parallel between 30 years ago and today? Do you think that's something that they would ever look back and uh, kind of 
you know, kind of portraying a uh, female valet in the same role? Yeah, I, I really don't think, like, with the whole, like, the women's rights and the whole thing, Dusty really pushed the limit. I mean, whenever he slapped me and then Tully did the big slap and the whole, you know, it was it was a buildup and it was a, but for, you know, pushing the envelope, I'm surprised we didn't get some more letters than what we really did about, you know, the abusing, but the whole part, and that's what I think I came off with with my deal was that, Number one, they hated me so much, so so that when Dusty really did smack, you know, smack me in the whole thing, and it just blew up. Everybody thought I deserved it, so nobody kind of bitched about it. Well, she deserved it anyway, which was like, wow, thanks a lot, appreciate that. And then when Tully slapped me, that was so much heat on him, and everybody was more concerned with, wow, Dusty's really great for helping her and. And Dusty's going to make everything all right. That it kind of blew over on on that one too. But I think if you did the same thing now, that it would be hard to be um, done in such a way that it could be pulled off the way that we pulled it off, with as much heat as I had both ways. And then people at that point wanting Dusty to be the ultimate babyface and turning the ultimate heel, which was myself and and Tolly. Uh, turning myself baby face, that was like the ultimate jeer towards Tully, and that's what they wanted to see. And, yeah, I, I did, whenever you look right back at it, I got pushed around pretty good. But then, I mean, I'm not like the normal-sized girl. I'm like five foot ten, and I was, you know, like then I was like 100, probably between 190 to, uh, you know, 210, you know, working. I've always been like a big girl and, 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 and not really shied away. I had you know, the high school just this record whenever I was uh, going to, you know, school back then. So, I mean, I wasn't going to tell them, no, I didn't want to do something. You know, I, I wanted I wanted to be a part of everything just as much as the boys. And, and being a wrestler wasn't it because I was so big at the time. You know, the the girls were, you know, like Misty Blue and, and – um, even Wendy Richter, I, I think like she was maybe like five eight, five nine, and the girls back then, you know, they were all like five five to five eight, and here I am five ten, you know, six one, six two, like with heels on. It, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be more standing side by side with the guys. And it was great about the baby doll gimmick, you know, staying with the NWA. It was great about that gimmick and the perfect ten. Is the, you know is that size kind of difference and everyone kind of saying like oh you know what's Tully doing with Baby Doll so how did you guys get paired up because it seems like the like the perfect combination. It it just Tully and I knew each other back whenever he was actually going to school at West Texas State up in Canyon and his dad knew my dad because his dad promoted in San Antonio and my dad promoted uh, for years in Lubbock. And they kind of co-promoted on some stuff and traded talent back and forth. And then Tully would actually work, you know, like Lubbock and Odessa and Amarillo when he was up there at school and and had a chance to, you know, go and work. And then he started working a lot with Gino. And then um, he and Gino teamed up as a dynamic duo and worked a lot of shows around Lubbock and some in Lubbock. And um, it was, um, I, I just knew Tully from back then whenever I was like 13, 14. And then we met up again whenever I was 
just getting ready to get out of the Dallas territory. I had two shows uh, with them, and that, and that was it. I had two matches with Stella May in Florida. It was Christmas Day and the day after, and it was in Miami and Tampa. And I'd gone to see, um, at the time, Michael Hayes was booking. So I bought, like, this big, huge bottle of Jack Daniels and went to go see Michael Hayes. And he went on to inform me that Florida was getting ready to shut down that uh, the person to go see was Dusty because Dusty was getting ready to quote unquote blow North Carolina up. And he says that North, he said the mid Atlantic is a place that you want to be. He says that that's the one that's getting ready to really get going. He says, because Dusty's getting the talent and he says, he says that Dusty's getting ready to go with it. So he says, you know, Dusty, right? And I was like, yeah, I said, I met him when he, Ever, I was a little girl. He had worked for my dad in Lubbock and he says, well, I'll introduce you. And I said, no, I'll, I need to go talk to him. So I went in there, and Tully was standing with Dusty at the time in the dressing room, and I went over and introduced myself and that told him the story. You know, I was getting ready to get through with Texas, and I still wanted to work, and would they be interested in, in having a girl come in and work for him? And they just kind of both lit up at the same time, and I had no idea that they were looking for a girl for Tully that Tully had actually gone on TV a couple of weeks before that, and they had actually started a, a contest looking for um, Tully's Perfect Ten, and that they had a bunch of videos sent in and, and pictures and the whole thing so that the contest had already started and that they were actually looking for a girl, and then they saw me, and I was a perfect opposite of what everybody would think that Tully would be with. You know, they would think that Tully would be like some short little uh, homecoming, you know, like beauty queen type thing, you know, that with the tiara and the hair and the teeth and the smile and the dress and, and not, you know, a, a five foot ten, you know, athletic girl that's going uh, to kick somebody's butt, you know, at the drop of a hat. But it just worked. And and the whole thing, and, and from the very first TV that we did, it just, and, and I want to say it was in Spartanburg, but I'm not sure. But I remember that TV, how whenever we just came back and how the dressing room reacted to us and the and the promos and David Crockett and Dusty and even Dusty's face knowing that something magical was happening. And then, you know, driving down the road, you know, going to shows and, and people passing us and then we're passing them and then passing us and then they're pointing and they're looking, and Tully was just going, that's never happened before. And he was just like 10 years in this business, and he says, I've never been noticed, like, going down the highway. And he says, this is going to be big. He says, "This get ready, this is really going to be big. And it was. And, and I mean, I was definitely at the right place at the right time. And, and the talent that I got to work with, I mean, I couldn't have picked – I mean, no one could have picked better talent. I mean, from Tully – to Dusty, to Flair, even like with Warlord and Larry Zabisco. I mean, they're all like, look at all the WWE Hall of Famers I've gotten to work with, whether directly or indirectly and in the ring. And just, it's just phenomenal. And I'm very, very lucky and I'm very, very fortunate. With Tully, like you said, it wouldn't be, you weren't like the prototypical of what kind of Tully was looking for, what the fans were looking for. So then it worked even more perfect and you guys got more heat and generated so much. And like you talked about before, that Dusty feud was great. And, and the time when Dusty 
quote unquote try to turn you into a real lady. You just kind of you know take us back to that point of feuding with you know Dusty, the, the master, if you will, the 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 lead babyface. It it was it was hard, but then it was easy at the same time. I mean, you know, most people wouldn't want to go out and have a thirty, a forty, or fifty minute match with Dusty because it was difficult to work with it sometimes because it was just. It was, it was just, you worked. And it wasn't like, oh, yeah, just go out there and have a match. When you worked with Dusty, you worked. And, and you worked every single night to get every ounce of energy. Because look at, look at what we were having to follow. Like, if, if we were on a typical card, we followed probably Midnight Express against Rock and Roll Express. And then we would have, like, Tully against um, Dusty. And then you had Flair against Magnum or something in the main event. Now, how are you, you – you've got to give everything. Otherwise, people aren't going to remember you. And you know what? People remembered every single match on that card, and that's a testament to Dusty. But then it's also a testament to everybody that was on the card. But no one went out of that arena going, oh, you know, I'm never going to go to wrestling again. They couldn't wait until next month to spend their, you know, $10, $20 to come see us again. And that, you know, that's a testament right there Dusty had everyone working with the best person that they could work with to bring out cards, and people remember us 30 years later, you know, and, and really have nothing bad about anything to say about us. Looking back, do you think that was quite possibly the best talent roster? We're talking about Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, The Horseman, Dusty. Possibly the best talent roster of all time? I don't know of all time, but for that time, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, I mean, if you can, and no disrespect to any of the guys, but if you can make meaningful matches with, like, Jimmy Valiant and Paul Jones and Shaska Watley and the hair thing and and just draw that out and bring Big Mama in and, and the whole, you know, scenario of that and then, you know, having Jimmy Garvin and Patty and, and their whole scenario with that, and it's just, oh, my gosh, there, there's no one bad that you can say that, oh, yeah, they, that, why do they have them working on there? It all keyed in, and it all worked, and it was all, there wasn't a match that you, that you could go, oh, I'm going to go to the concession on this match. When you looked at all the cards, like, you know, how they have, like, 30 years to go today or, you know, whatever on, the, on Facebook, and they do, like, the old wrestling cards, and you look at the old Mid-Atlantic cards from, you know, like 1984 to, you know, like 1989, 1990, something like that, there's not a match on there that you'd want to go get something at the concession. You know, you want to see every match. And, and it's not like that now. It's just, it's so different. And, and it's, I'm not dissing, you know, what's happening today, but it was, it was just a cool time in wrestling. Unbelievable, especially looking back. It's like, man, these guys are so talented and like so many things stick out. But obviously, you know, the Dusty view with Tully and you kind of being in the middle, that stands out. But also, Magnum TA and, and Tully, and what a few they had. And we had a chance to interview both guys and kind of, you know, get both of their perspectives and, and how much they really, you know, didn't like each other. Maybe even today, kind of don't really like each other. But what was your kind of sense of being kind of in the middle of that crazy feud? It was very touchy, 
because, you know, like even having a kiss with Magnum and then we went in and had, in, you know, like with Starcade and had the cage match and the whole thing. Whenever they had matches, they actually were so physical. They, they were beating the crap out of each other because they, they literally couldn't stand each other. And, and it was like you had these two big alpha males in this wrestling office that were trying to be number one. And you've got Magnum that's always with Dusty and then Tolly who's trying to be the best he can be for Dusty, but then doesn't want to be the yes man or like, oh, yes, Dusty, whatever you want. Tolly's going to be whoever Tolly's going to be. And so you've got kind of that conflict of like the good son and the bad son and, you know, both going for the, the rival number one position. Plus then they want to have the number one spot on the card too. So they're just, and they're, neither one is going to back down on each other. And whenever you watch the promo of where your uh, Magnum grabs me and gives me the kiss and then Tully comes out and they're hitting on each other, you actually feel how physical each one of those punches are. You can, because they're literally knocking the crap out of each other just to, for the buildup of Starcade. And then, once even that they had Starcade, it almost had to end at that time because they one of them was going to kill the other one. It was just that that vicious. And what else were they going to do after that? And then Magnum started his deal with Nikita, I believe, after that. But even after that, it's kind of strange because Tully was married and and had his wife, and then Magnum ended up marrying. Tully's ex-wife, and they've got kids, and Tully's got kids with her, and I guess everybody's like, it's a big, happy family now, but oh my Lord, you know, it's uh, their history has been intertwined now for the last 30-some years, whether in or out of the ring. I mean, now they've got kids and ex-wives together. It's really crazy how real it was back then, but even like you're right, even today it's so real because of the relationship and how you know Magnum is you know actually married to uh, Tully's ex-wife and you know the kids and everything. So it, it is it is really crazy. And then you think about an even another kind of addition to you with with that feud is when basically Tully slaps you or hits you and, and kind of uh, takes you out of the game a little bit because you didn't help him with Magnum. Do you like you know did you like kind of turning babyface at that point? Well, it was it was strange at that time because if I remember right, they were actually going to put me with Buddy Landell at that time, but Landell through his addiction had disappeared from TV and actually had disappeared for a couple of days, and so Dusty had it worked out where I was. And now this it may be totally wrong, and I'm not remembering this right, but I remember that I was supposed to go with Buddy. We were supposed to work a program against Flair at the time, but then Buddy, through his addictions, didn't show up for TV, didn't show up for a couple of the house shows, so they went ahead and fired him. Well, they didn't know what they were going to do with me because really, Tully and I, we had so much heat, there was no more, I mean, what else could we do? So then at that point, Dusty did the complete 180, and instead of just keeping me with another heel, he put me with him, and then we did the baby face run, which to me, it just rejuvenated Dusty 100%. And it was 
it was so fun working with him, and I just I just miss him to pieces. And I was so fortunate this past summer that um, I actually got to speak with his wife, and she was at uh, one of the fan fests with me, and and uh, just. I have so much respect for him and I have so much respect for her and, and I just miss him to pieces and, and it's just not the same going and doing these shows knowing that I'm just never going to see him again. Definitely. You know, came out of nowhere as a surprise. He meant so much to so many people and he was such an integral part of your career as well. And obviously, you know, we, we kind of mentioned before, you got to spend some time teaming with him. Did you prefer playing a face or did you prefer the role of playing a heel? Oh, my Lord. Um, I really like being a heel. I mean, I just, I'm kind of the, you know, the, I've heard the term natural heel and, and I guess, you know, that that's in a sense. But I just have that natural look of like it's it's hard for me to be mean and nasty, but when I am, it's very easy for me to be. You're a heel in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Not even. <laughs> well, you know, with your career, it's crazy because you turn heel again and you end up turning on Dusty and then you end up managing Flair. We kind of, you know, briefly mentioned that, but what was it like kind of turning back heel and ending up with Slater at the time, who was, you know, the top of the food chain? It was, um, oh, my gosh. I mean, whenever I look back now, and, and this was the time that I got married and, and then they sent me to Kansas City, this, I mean, I kind of wish that I'd stayed in Charlotte and had just kind of run the, the roads with Flair. But then I kind of look at it this way. I might not have survived because not. Oh, I'm sorry. Your uh, the audio cut out for for a second there. I'm sorry. No, I said that. Sometimes I wonder what it would have been like if I had stayed in Charlotte instead of going to Kansas City. If I'd actually had like a six month or an eight month run with Flair as champion just kind of what kind of heat we could have gotten. It's, and it's just kind of a wonder if and a once upon a time that will never happen. You know, just you know, just wonder what would have happened if we, instead of like running two months with him, if I'd gotten like six or eight months. And but then I kind of wonder maybe that wouldn't have been good because the other girls that have worked with him are no longer alive. So maybe it's better I didn't run with him for real. long. <laughs> Well, it's like that old uh, Bobby Heenan story. Apparently, he, he went up to Vince and he said, uh, you better take me off the road with Flair. I don't think I'm going to survive. Exactly. I mean, I kind of look, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, when you look, Elizabeth is not with us and Nancy's not with us. That's not a good track record. He is, oh, yeah, you know, the, the nature Well, boy. I was going to say Sherry, but Sherry didn't run with us. Sherry was with uh, uh, Savage more. Oh, Lord. He is. He is the nature boy, you know, for a reason. But you're right. I mean, you were the natural hero. It would have been better if you had a longer run with him. And, and then, you know, obviously the heel turn on Dusty could have played off more. So, you know, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, oh, you know, there would have, could have, should have, in, you know, in your right. career. Right. I would have, uh, yeah, I mean, just never know. Just never know. One of those wonder if. Now, with kind of, 
you know, we talked about it before, but with you kind of getting into wrestling, and, and we kind of mentioned it briefly, it was Gino Hernandez. I was just curious, you know, the rumor was, I guess, you always had a crush on him or you always wanted to be his manager. You know, what was the, the, the way you kind of got into world class with Gino Hernandez? Gino Hernandez, obviously, and uh, Tully uh, kind of go hand in hand. Well, what had happened was I was, um, oh, my gosh, I was going to school. I was going to school for to be an EMT. And I just happened to one day hear my parents talking about, you know, like the wrestling cards coming up and some of the stuff that they were planning on doing with the talent and et cetera. And then they were talking about that they were thinking about putting a girl with Gino and that a bodyguard type situation since he had had the run-ins with Stella and that Sunshine had gone to um, uh, rehab for a short amount of time and that they were just kind of stuck with, Stella just kind of just doing run-ins that they they didn't know what they were going to do with her. And um, they were thinking about putting a girl with uh, Gino instead of Gino actually confronting Stella. Then they would have a girl kind of as a bypass so that Gino didn't have to lay his hands on a, on a girl. So in all my um, brilliance, I got the idea of calling the Dallas office. And I, I had snuck out of the house and went to my boyfriend's house and had my dad's black book and called the Dallas office and Dave Meltzer called or um, I'm sorry, David Manning answered. And uh, they were just getting ready to go to a meeting upstairs with Fritz. And I gave him the idea. I said, well, you know that I had heard the idea and consider me and, and that uh, I was smart and I was pretty and that maybe that would be something that Gino could use. And, that uh, maybe they could use me. And David was just like, wow, that could really work. And he said, since you're already in the business, we don't have to bring someone in that Fritz would probably really like this. And he says, "Um, just give me a little bit of time. He says, I'll call you right back. So it wasn't very long. I remember it was like 45 minutes or an hour. He called me back and said that Fritz loved it and that they wanted me to get started with the Dallas – TV and that if I could come down there and that they would do like, um, if I remember right, I was supposed to go for like Dallas um, promos on like Friday and then start um, Monday at Fort Worth at TV. So I went went ahead and went to Dallas. It was at TV and I remember watching, um, Was I was at the hotel and Gina was actually, had done a promo at Fort Worth and I can't remember if it was playing on, like, Friday night or Saturday night. But I remember – well, it was Saturday because I remember I was at the hotel and, and he was talking about how he brought a girl in and they were going to call her Andrea and just the promo they shot from. And I was just – I was so excited. I was, like, jumping from bed to bed and you are just so excited to hear the promo. And then the Friday that we had the first TV that had promos, uh, I had met Jake, and Jake the Snake started the same day with, that I did and actually held the door open for me when we walked in and, and started promos for the very first day. So that's kind of a cool way to start the Dallas Territories as the same day that Jake did. <laughs> You're telling me. It's amazing, yeah. And where did the kind of Andrea name come from? I... The only thing that I can think of is that they were trying to, because they, they wanted, like, this big, badass girl. You know, like, I'm 5'10", they billed me as, like, 6'2". Um, even with heels, it's kind of a, a stretch. 
And then, um, you know, like, it, I think it was like 6'2 and 230, and I'm like 5'10 and 190. <laughs> so it was a little bit of a stretch. So they were going with Andrea to try and go with, like, Andre the Giant, you know, like this big badass, which to me I, I, I really didn't like because, I mean, Andre is Andre. You shouldn't have any other Andres except for Andre the Giant. And I really hated it. And any time I could use Nikola, I used Nikola. And so that thank goodness didn't last very long because I, I didn't like using it. I really didn't. And and I guess there's a girl using it now. And, and to me, it's, it's disrespectful to Andre the Giant because and unless you just absolutely look like him or unless he gives you the blessing to, you know, go ahead and use it, you really shouldn't. It's, it's not right. And what about, you know, you with Gino Hernandez? Because that almost is, you know, very similar to Mattelli. It's like a perfect kind of combination, good chemistry. So what was it like with Gino Hernandez? It was, um, for a girl starting out, it was really hard because he didn't really teach me anything. It was, I I, I learned more, like, from the other guys in in the dressing room. Um, in fact, you know, whenever I called the office and said that I was smart, I really, I meant smart as in book smart, not like working smart. And it wasn't until my very first match that I actually really knew everything that I had to do. Even though my parents had promoted for years and years and wrestled and everything, they had um, kayfabed us and, and didn't tell us anything. They didn't even smarten up their own kids because that's something that you just didn't do unless unless you paid your dues and, and went and, and trained and became a wrestler, you they, you didn't know. And so it wasn't really until my first match. And even when, um, uh, let me see, it was David Manning and it was Gary Hart and um, Bella and um, Ken Mantell was in my dressing room giving me what we were doing in the match. And whenever they left, I was, like, sitting there going, oh, my gosh, that's how they do it. That's, oh, Lord. And, I see, even I didn't know. So, and and then traveling with Gino, I, I traveled by myself because he was kind of a loner, and he had the Corvette, and he had a girlfriend, and it wasn't right for him to travel with a girl when he had a girlfriend. And completely understood that because I was just cool, just going to the shows and working. And he was... um he was always very nice. He was always congenial, but it was always it was always business. You you knew you were never going to hang out and have a drink with him after the show type thing. It was it was business, and that was it. And that that's the way it was. I mean, there was, I mean, we were. It was just like with Tully, because Tully and I were strictly business. So with Gino, it was the same thing. And I guess that's why it worked because. We weren't we weren't a couple, even though we kind of portrayed one, and that but we just had that chemistry of of because we didn't, but yet everybody thought we did, and it was just it just worked, I guess, because we didn't. <laughs> With world class, like you said, you there's so many great guys. You mentioned Gary Hart, uh, obviously David Manning, Big Snake, Robert. So many smart guys take to learn. Did you learn a lot from Walt? I really did. I mean, well, because once I got, like, on, like, the other side and t- started, like, traveling with people and, and getting to the shows and, like, learning, and it's just, it, it's, 
wrestling is like if you want to learn, I mean, you can you can just be a sponge and just sit there and learn a lot without having anybody say anything to you, and you can just sit there and listen to everybody's conversation and learn so much from that, and then you learn how to manage your money, you learn how to make road trips, you learn uh, heat because, I mean, if if, I, if you can't learn how to get heat from, like, watching the Freebird, you know, have a thousand matches against Savon Erickson still have more heat than anybody, then how are you not going to learn, especially for Michael Hayes? How can you not learn how to get heat when you're working with Michael Hayes or Jake the Snake or Chris Adams and not learning how to be a baby face when you're working against guys like Kevin and Kerry Von Erich? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I was fortunate to be there and be able to learn from the best. So many great guys down there, world class. When you left world class, and you know, obviously, you know, you move on to JCP. Was it kind of upsetting to leave world class? Because it seemed like you know a, a great fit for you at the time. It it wasn't. It was more scary than anything because I just wanted to work, you know. And and it was um, leaving home for the first time, you know, moving halfway across the country. I'd never really lived away from home, and then you know, working like this and you're not sure of the promotion, if they're drawing any money, if they're not drawing any money and how far are you having to travel and am I going to be able to pay my bills or am I going to move here for two weeks and then have to go back? It was more scary and apprehensive because even then the Crockett territory had just started to get going. And it, um, it was, you know, it was a steady territory and people could make money, but then you had to, you know, you couldn't really be real frivolous with your money. You had to kind of watch it. And, and then when, whenever I got there and, and, like, Magnum got there at the same time, and um, we had several guys that kind of it was staggered. And it was like boom, boom, boom. We got – and everybody was making money. It was uh, – being scared didn't last very long because it seemed like I, I fit right in. And, and shoot, I, don't th- I think I only got 15 days off the first year that I worked anyway, so I was so busy I couldn't really be anything but just busy. Wow, it's a, you know, not a lot of days off. Obviously, you know, a lot of tours, a lot of traveling with JCP. So how was it with the Crockett's themselves? Like, how were they as owners and bosses to you? Very, I mean, you. how can you not love David Crockett? Because, he, you know, if he, if he really likes you and he likes your work, then he really puts you over in promos and interviews and your match, and he got so excited. And, and he was like, the best fan times 10. And then Francis Crockett was doing our uh, promotional work and putting together calendars and magazines and things like that and, and doing something that had never really been done before, you know, like creating more characters for us where we were, um, how can I put, The fans from like magazines and pictures and T-shirts and calendars, and she took that on. And then Jim Crockett was like the big boss over all of us. And Jackie, of course, everybody loved Jackie with his camera work. So it was family, and it's now cool because I'm getting to work with the with the granddaughter and um, of of Jim Crockett Senior himself. She's doing the Crockett Foundation with uh, the rescue dogs. 
for the uh, and and with the veterans and their dogs and helping them get um veterinary care for their pets and and I feel very fortunate to be a part of the Crockett Foundation. Very very cool and it's great to see you know another generation of Crockett's working with baby doll. I mean that's pretty cool. Yeah, and we're part of like a really they put us on like a really cool t-shirt and it's uh the last t-shirt that I saw had like Ricky Steamboat Rock and Roll Express and myself, and I think that they just added Tommy Young to that, and then they've got a whole banner now where they've added probably 10 to 15 more wrestlers. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter's in there, and um, I'm sorry, oh, Wahoo McDaniels is on there, and uh, it's it's a it's a really good foundation and it's a really good charity. That is awesome, and you can't go wrong with any of those big-time names, obviously, uh, from the JCP era. It's so cool. Exactly. Like I said before, it's one of the you know the best as far as talent lineups and matches and putting all those things together. But, you know, you end up leaving uh, about 1988 or so. You end up leaving JCP. You have your departure. Is it true that you actually did have a tryout at one point with the WWF? Yes, I do. I went and I trained up for a whole summer up with um, Nelson Royal up at his camp. It was Robin Smith, uh, Rock and Robin and myself went up there. And I actually moved up there and lived with him for a while and trained uh, in the evenings when it got cooled off and learned how to or tried to learn how to take bumps. And Robin was up there and she trained. And we actually worked out with Lalani. I think we worked out on the same day and, Gave her a photo package. I gave mine to uh, uh, Bobby Heenan. And I think that Robin actually had her dad, Grizz, take hers in. And uh, But they chose Robin instead of myself, which is cool because it was, it was really cool that all of us that wanted to be in the business were in the business from Jake and Robin and Mike and myself. And um, she got to be the ladies' champion and, and get to do her thing. And, and I, I think it's really cool that, that she tried out and got it. I really do. But, yeah, I, I tried out. I, I didn't do very well. I did, I, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, you mentioned Bobby Heenan, obviously, Grizzly Smith. Is there any kind of Vince McMahon uh, interactions at all during the tryout? Um, I To this day, I've never shook Vince McMahon's hand. But I do want to say thank you, Vince McMahon, for putting me on your WWE network every chance you get. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. I know that other guys are bitching and moaning and groaning because they're not making any money. But every time someone watches one of our videos, I'm yet again immortal, and I so appreciate it. And that if they would like to throw me some cash, I'd appreciate it. But if they don't want to, that's cool. I understand. It's a money thing. <laughs> and I never, I never had a contract with them. And every time I sign the back of a check, I find over my right to the work that I did. So I completely understand, you know, you know they bought up the right to, to my image and the whole thing. And we never – we never envisioned what we were doing 30 years ago was going to be seen again over and over and over again. It was just kind of a one-week thing when we were building up to something we did every six months. And um, I can do nothing but thanks to um, Vince McMahon and Triple H and Stephanie for 
during the WWE Network where, you know, the, the, our legends get to continue. And not only in my era, but, you know, people can see wrestling from the 70s and from the, you know, the Attitude Era. And, you know, whatever they want to take up and view, we're there. And most of the time they get to view us. And I think one time I was told that I had like six out of 10 of their top DVDs, which is like really cool. And, you know, I'm, Maybe one day, you know, they'll they'll give me a call. And what I'd rather see them do rather is to give my daughter a call because I think she deserves it way more than I do. Hmm. And I, I definitely want to, uh, you know, touch on, on your daughter for one second. But what do you think of the, the WWE Network? I know you obviously, you know, you're more positive of it. You kind of mentioned the whole royalty aspect of it. But, you know, you're, you're more for it. Do you have the WWE Network? Do you watch it at all? I have never seen it. We we just uh, this is how country and backwards we are. We just got a smart TV, <laughs> so we're so excited to get like the whole thing, uh, the Netflix and the Hulu and the whole thing. But we just had other things to do than watch TV and had to finally break down. I think I had like a 50 inch Sony that I finally just had to just give up that I'd had for forever, and. Um, uh, do not have the WWE Network, but from what the fans say and from the feedback I get, and it seems like whenever they have a run of the JCP uh, era, I get some bookings and get phone calls, and there's like a new resurgence of interest. Um, I love it. I can't, because I look at it this way, if Vince didn't go for the libraries and try and keep them all together, as, you know, together type thing, then there's no telling where they would have ended up. A lot of the tapes that my dad was on, the the tapes that, you know, like from the Amarillo uh, territory because we bicycled them and they just taped over them and taped over them, taped over them, those are all gone. But because of Vince's office and how he feels about things, he tried to keep things together like the world-class tape and the Mid-South tapes and, you know, like Ohio Valley and, and Smoky Mountain and the whole thing, you know, why not keep them together and keep them for everybody to see? Even though we have to pay for them, he's archiving them so that anybody can see them at any time whenever they want to. I think that's fabulous, you know, because he's made wrestling so much more accessible than we what we ever thought could happen because it's like what you said when you were like growing up in the 80s you you went to go see the magazines that's all there was well now we have vast libraries of digital tape i love it it's amazing the immortals you know live on forever because of the network and, you know, you're able to pull up things you didn't think you'd be able to pull up, and they're able to get these libraries, they're able to pick up the tapes a little bit. So it's pretty cool, the WWE Network, when you really sit down and, and think about it. And my kids get to see me really cool one time when I was younger than they are now, and and I was skinny, and I was pretty, and, and I was on TV, and, and I was, you know, their mom was like somebody that they never thought I was at one time, which is really cool. <laughs> hmm. That is pretty cool. And you you mentioned before uh, about your daughter. Your daughter is currently wrestling, right? Um, my oldest daughter just, in fact, my oldest daughter just released her first um, EP, or I think guess I think it's just one song right now. She's with the band Never Not, and she just did her uh, first single, Sun Showers, for their first 
EP coming out, The Taste of Nashville, this summer. And then my youngest daughter is also wrestling. She, um, she's been wrestling for about three or four years, no longer than that, probably six years now, and uh, doing really well. I mean, traveling all up and down the East Coast, doing every booking that she can, really in shape, just beautiful, beautiful girl, has a new boyfriend, um, the boss, I, I think is what it's Dustin, and they're like a really cool little uh, mixed tag team, and um, I'm looking for good things for both of them, especially my daughter. Now, as I start to wind it down here, I just had a question. I know we kind of touched on it a little bit before, but what's your like favorite moment you had in, in the business? I know you obviously work with Tully, you work with Dusty, but do you have you know a moment that stands out above the rest as, as one of your favorites? Oh my gosh, my favorite moment. Um, probably the one that I'll never forget is when I put my foot or put Flair's foot on the rope. Um, on his title, on his title win, and you could actually hear the crowd like gasp, and they are so mad at me. They're whole so mad at the situation because they realize that they've kind of been suckered this whole time, and they really don't know whether to be believe Flair or believe me or believe Dusty because Flair doesn't believe what's going on, and it's just it's just kind of one of those cool surreal moments of time when you wonder if you're going to survive or not. And it, it's just, that was, that was really kind of cool. That is amazing. And I can, you know, think of a lot of, you know, other great moments you had, had in wrestling. And you said you love playing the heel, you're, you know, the natural heel. And, and, you know, your look kind of made you stand out. You know, kind of being a woman in wrestling at that point, was it difficult kind of really making your way through and making a lot of traction given the fact that it was such a male-dominated, you know, promotion and it's such a male-dominated profession? It, it's difficult when you're the only girl and you're traveling with, like, 20 guys for, like, a whole week. And, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult when you see guys being guys. And you're like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, but you just kind of have to maybe like look the other way because guys are going to be guys. And then it's funny with this whole Trump thing because everybody got so like thrown off and just so disgruntled about what he said. It was just so it was so outlandish. He he could could have possibly said that. It was just like, wow, have you been spent ten hours around any guy in your whole life and actually listened to what he said? especially when he's talking to, like, other guys. I said, guys guys are guys. Anyway, um, it was a unique situation because a lot of the guys already knew me, and they knew me through my dad, and they knew the respect thing of, like, if they had messed up, that they knew that I could call my dad and my dad could come take care of him because my dad was kind of one of those guys that carried 45s on his hip. And and nobody messed with my dad. Plus, my dad had a really, really, really good reputation. And then I also conducted myself in the sense that I never wanted anyone to go to my dad or my mom and say, do you know how your daughter's acting? You know, you should have more control of your daughter. Or, you know, I didn't want to be an embarrassment to my family. I didn't want anyone going back and telling my dad something that I did 
that would totally disrespect everything that he taught me not to be. And I think throughout my whole career and throughout my whole life, I've always kind of lived that point of I didn't want to disappoint my dad with something that I did that he definitely taught me not to do. And it it always pulled me through because if I ever, ever I had a doubt, I just figured out what my dad would do. And, and so far it's proven to be the right way. And to this day I can hang my head high and I have no embarrassments. I have nothing that I'm ashamed of. And everything that my daughters look at, the work that I did, you know, it's, um, I'm very proud of my work and I'm not ashamed of, you know, like my ass hanging out or overexposing myself. And, I mean, some girls had to do that to get over, and I didn't. Which is great. And to think about all that, think about your career. Do you actually, I know you, last year obviously you were involved with Cornette and Big Time Wrestling, but do you miss the wrestling business at all? Um, wow. There are times that I do, but most of the times I don't. I've just got so much other stuff going on with um, I've got a really cool boyfriend and we're into the Harley Davidsons and we've got our own construction company going and I've got like a huge garden and we like riding on the weekends and doing other stuff. And, you know, like if you're doing the wrestling thing, you're kind of doing the wrestling thing and there's no, no other time except for doing the wrestling thing. And right now I've just got other things to do and I go and see my daughter whenever I get a chance to and, I do an occasional show, but I've kind of just got other things to do. Now, you were somewhat of a trailblazer for women's wrestling, so to speak. You know, like you said, you were one of the only women on the road in JCP at the time. And going through wrestling like that, do you ever, you know, watch WB at all today and look at the women's division and kind of you know, take a little pride in kind of, you know, helping that along the way? So, I, I love the part that Charlotte's got. Um, Ashley, I mean, I, I remember when she was born, and it's just it's so cool that she is getting to do what I hope, you know, what I've heard and what I know of her, that she is just totally loving to do. And I've, I've talked with her mother and, and at different times, and I've, I've seen it in her mother's face, how much that they're just all loving this so much. And it's, I love it to the point of, you know, there's so many girls getting to be able to be seen and being able to be showcased and so many girls that are working. And um, I, I really don't have anything bad. I, I mean, not like I'd have anything bad to say about it, but there's nothing bad to say about it. I mean, look, you've got the queen of pay-per-view, you know, the, the Charlotte, you know, nobody's going to beat her on that. And, and they've got the girls main eventing a lot of their shows now. The girls are over. And, and it's because they've let the girls be able to work. And, and, it's, and it's what needs to be done. Instead of being divas, instead of kind of being in a class all by themselves, they're actually letting the girls work. And, it, and it's coming out and it's showing. And the girls are making a name for themselves by being in the main event and they're pulling it off. And I love it. When you saw Charlotte, you know, they basically knew her since she was born. She's you know, known her since she was so young. Did you see her becoming kind of this huge star that she became? Did you, did you ever think that Rick was going to let his uh, daughter become this big professional wrestler? 
how could you not? I mean, when you're definitely, when you're made to be that way, there's no holding your back. There's he, he, Her dad could have put up every roadblock in the world, and I think she would have busted them all down. I really do. I mean, she's her dad ten times over. There's no other way to look at it. I mean, no matter what he did to try and stop her, I think that if if she wanted to do this, she was going to do it, and she wants to do this. She loves it. You can tell that she loves it. It definitely, you feel the passion coming off. It's obviously in the blood, and she was born to well, do this, but maybe. And I think that she's taken the other girls up another level. I know Natalia did it. And and some of the other girls, you know, some of the second and third generations. But I think Charlotte has just set the beam so much higher for the other girls to um, set themselves at and let themselves go and be the athletes that they really are. And it, it's really showing. And I think that it, it's all part of Charlotte. Charlotte's done it. And there's no signs of slowing up whatsoever. Now, now they need to get my daughter in there. That would be the next thing, but we'll, that's all common. She's just not quite old enough yet, I guess. Uh, hopefully nothing but the best for her and her journey. But, Baby Doll, this has been a lot of fun, and obviously my co-host spent a lot of time down in the basement studying uh, the Baby Doll tapes. But the way we like to end it, and we really uh, hope I, I close it out the right way, is when you look at your career and you look at what you left in professional wrestling, and obviously we've talked about the difference between today's females' roles versus back when you were uh, really dominating a male industry from the female side. But what do you feel your legacy is left in professional wrestling? My legacy? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I would put it as my daughter, as as someone that's, you know, coming out as like like a third generation because not only is her mom a wrestler, but her grandmother. I mean, there's no other like third generation girl workers out there. It's like a whole new level. But I think with mine, it's like it's like what Flair said. It's like diamonds are forever, and so is baby doll. That says it all. Is because I set myself up as a standard that I I don't think anyone else is going to follow because there are no other valets. There's no one else that did anything like I did. There's no one else that worked with the cream of the cream that I did. You know, like look at actually all the WWE Hall of Famers that that I've worked with. And, and there's no one else like it. And I'm I'm a lucky girl, and I was in a in a good spot. And I'm glad that I pulled it off. And I'm glad a lot of people got to see it. And I'm glad a lot of people have a lot of really good memories of the work that I did. Like I said before, timeless, absolutely timeless. Well, baby doll, it's been a lot of fun and a great walk down memory lane. But please share with the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling just where they can find anything and everything in the world of Baby Doll and perhaps where they can find some information about your daughter as well and her journey. Well, you've always got my Facebook under Nicola Roberts and then um, Michaela Smith, Samantha Starr. Just look up any information with her with YouTube or just hit me up and I'll try and help you down your uh, way and I'll, I'll try and get you some pictures or whatever else you need. But I appreciate everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.